Okay, now our final guest um, tonight, and you know, I could say we've stayed saved the best till last. Um, Portia is well, she's going to tell you what she does, but the important thing here is Portia isn't a musician, she isn't a producer. What she does is manages groups or artists within the commercial sphere. Is that reasonable? Yeah, just nod, go on. And, yep. and um, what it is, it's, I was particularly keen to bring Portia on to talk about this because she works with a lot of grime, urban and modern artists and it's really interesting to discover how they, by managing themselves, by taking care of their own business with the sound system culture, the DIY culture we've talked about all afternoon, has led to this thing now where they're easing into the mainstream through people like Porsche and kind of literally taking over the, if not the world, at least the country. So um, please, round of applause for Porsche Clark. <laughs> Porsche, I'm sure you can explain um, far more um, uh, eloquently than me what you do. Hello, that's better. Hi, everyone. Um, so, yeah, you heard I spoke a little bit earlier. <laughs> um, so, I am a music marketing and brands consultant. Uh, the title, well, yeah, it's kind of made up. Everyone's about titles. Yeah, it is made up, basically. Um, I've kind of created a lane for myself. I've worked in-house for brands and for labels previously, um, but now I'm a consultant for Warner Music in New York and Warner Music in the UK. Sony, Red Bull Music Academy, Bacardi, Ray Nephew. Um, I've worked at previous drink brands before, um, but I'm one of the people that work behind the scenes that not many see. But if I was to say to you, uh, events like Red Bull Culture Clash, I'm the person that did the music programming for it, booked the talent, did the contracts, contract negotiations, um, actually get the artist to understand what it is they're actually signing up to do and they actually understand the concept that the brands have. Uh, I'm not sure if anyone went to Carnival this year. Um, there was a Bacardi activation in Notting Hill. So I did the deal for that. I did the um, activation for B um, Bacardi. It was their first activation for Carnival. Um, uh, just did a deal with um, Beats by Dr. Dre for Kojo Funds um, in the UK market in, um, in the graffiti tunnel in Waterloo. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so basically, I'm the person that when artists want to work with brands or want to work with corporate um, entities, they'll come to me for consultancy, what the, what's the correct way to go about it, um, dot their I's, cross their T's, whether it be looking over contracts, whether it be um, for a company, if they want to do an event, doing the programming it for it, uh, making sure they have the right, correct marketing tools, um, their strategy, what's the correct way to go about it, whether they should do a social media post first, um, how many deliverables they need to have in, the, in their contracts. What That's kind of like an overview. I hope that kind of makes sense. Okay, um, do you find it remarkable that so many major brands want to work with young urban artists, young rappers and grime artists? Um, now, um, no. Before... It's, it's something that's been growing. I think that now we're in an age that brands, companies understand that 
music sells, especially if you want sells your product. If you have a, a, a product or service that attracts 18 to 35 year olds, more than likely music somehow is going to be involved. I don't, I can't think of many people that don't listen to music. Music is very influential. Whether you like a song or don't like a song, everyone knows a song that you don't like. There's always that song on the radio, it's like, oh, I hate that song, but I know it. And um, brands are getting smarter as well. There's quite a lot of brands that will work with music, musicians, but they don't do it so in your face. Um, and like Beats by Dr. Dre that I just did with Kojo Funds, um, it was one of the few activations they did in the UK market because it's a, they're, they're very particular of how they do their strategy for music. And the activation, we nev they never had their brand all over the venue, for example, it was very subtle. So yeah, I do think that we're in a time now where companies are becoming a lot smarter, how they work musicians, and it's definitely needed. Are the musicians becoming smarter? Um, that's a very interesting question. So I get people DMing me like on Instagram or on Twitter, oh, can you get me a sponsorship deal with whoever it might be? And it's like, it doesn't work quite like that. So I think that the brands are getting smarter, but I think that some musicians are still naive to how it actually works. Because when you are working with these brands, they do have a lot of deliverables. It's not just, oh, we're gonna give you 50 grand or 10 grand or 5K, whatever it might be. There's certain things you have to do and you have certain brands that like to have long-term relationships and more organic. Um, then you have other brands that they're gonna pay you a fee, you need to do this, you sign up for it and that's just it. So um, it, it depends, but I think a lot of younger artists that are not familiar, they think it's a quick way to get money, and it's not the case. I suppose what, um, the uh, thread we followed through uh, this afternoon, when we started with Chips, a uh, former um, promotions guy for Trojan Records, who literally couldn't get his records played anywhere. You know, the BBC, the establishment, whatever, just did not want these records. Now... I find it heartening and a little ironic that we've now come so far that major brands are now courting um, urban acts. The same, the the 2018 equivalent of the acts chips were was shopping around. Um, do you do you find this uh, what progression or e evolution or what? Um, I do think that we're in a time now where is it we're, in, we're we're getting to a better place where a lot of brands want to work with unsigned acts or acts that are more subgenres, and it's a good thing. So for example, when I did the music programming for um, Red Bull Music Academy, I've done four culture clashes now, I've done two in Atlanta, and I just did a, a couple of months ago, and I've done two in London. And for the Bacardi activation, it had Major Lazer, Gig, Steph London, but then we had Mr. Vegas on it. He's a Caribbean dancehall artist. And then we had Flags Mass Band DJing. So I do think we're in a place where brands are working with subcultures a lot more, subgenres a lot more, and artists that might not be so known commercially, but if you look at their streams or if you go to the streets where you hear certain songs play before it becomes commercial, they do want to work with them, whether it be for a sync deal, for an advert, or whether they want to book them for a song. So I do think that there is still, um, there's growth within that. Is, um, do they find it important to get it right? I mean, instead of just attempting to do it themselves? Oh, that could get me in trouble, that question. 
I think some brands get it right. I mean, I'm very particular with who I work for. I've been, I've been very, if a company comes to me to work with me, I won't just say yes, whether it be an artist or, or a company, I'm very particular. I fall in love with the project first, the idea that they have, and if it fits what I believe in, because I'm, music is in my blood from my dad. I've grown up around it for my whole life. I'm particularly like pirate radio and sound systems. So because it's my culture and it's what I believe in, I'm not going to just work with any kind of project. Um, I can talk for days. Sorry, what was your question again? <laughs> it was about, um, do you think that uh, moving on in this way uh, is in any way ironic? And the fact that are brands working harder to make sure they get it right? I think, yeah, so some brands are, some brands aren't. I'm not going to say the ones that aren't, but... Um, you know, to go again, like with Bacardi, I'm not sure if anyone saw the Sound of Rum documentary piece um, that had Chip, forming numbers Chipmunk, Chasing Status, Popcorn, Spice, Sean Paul, um, Mr. Vegas, Gigs, uh, Miss Banks. It had, you know, so many people, and Bacardi is one of those brands that they're very particular about getting it right. They don't want to be a brand that just jumps and works with any kind of artist or because they're hot, they want to work with them. When I did the programming for SBTV um, event for Jamaica Independence at Cargo, just down the road in Shoreditch, um, I did the programming for SBTV, it was Pull Up, and um, at Idris's elbow film Yardi, again, you know, their brand that and people that are very particular with who they work with and they want to make sure that they get it right. So some do it well, some don't. <laughs> Is this, um, this looks to me like we really have come full circle this afternoon, you know, I mean, and in life, that what started off as this um, uh, outlaw culture, if you like, sound system culture, um, Chips not being able to get his, getting his records ignored by the BBC has really hit the mainstream if it's on this level of sort of commerciality that brands need to court it in order to, to sell themselves. Does, does it, do you see this as... Uh, it's gone mainstream. Yes, there's no, I can't even sugarcoat that. Yes, definitely. Um, because we live in a digital age and um, everything is at the tip of our fingers, brands are understanding that and they're understanding how consumers buy products. And because they're understanding that and there's data for it, Yes, I mean, there's, there's no going around it. I think for, you know, for subgenres and for independent artists, it's the best time because you literally don't have to be a top-tier artist to be featured or to on a top show or event or to get, you know, a sync deal on a... I'm sorry, I'm saying, saying sync deals. Does people know what... So if I say a sync deal, that basically means when you hear and uh, go to a film, see a fi film or a movie... The songs in the background, that's what a sync deal is. So when you get your song featured on something like that, sometimes you've never heard the song before, that's a sync deal. You get good money for that. Um, so that's an example of how an independent artist can go from not being known to everyone knowing or people losing in Shazam to think, oh, what song is that? Um, so yeah, it's definitely a great time. I mean, this is really, it's a triumph if you like, the idea that you just said that you don't have to be a top-tier artist. You can be an independent artist. And I suppose the thing we've been talking about all afternoon about sound system culture, about 
um, the people we've had up on stage talking, they've all been independent, and that's not indie, you know, as in indie rock. This is actually independent. They've done it for themselves. And one of the reasons I wanted Portia up here is because um, it's, it's like a coming of age. Would you, would you say that was, that was it? They're, these are guys in charge of their own business, and women in charge of their own business, and now courted by the mainstream. Yes, it's definitely coming of age. I mean, um, I did a project over the summer. Um, so I'm not sure if everyone knows the history of Carnaby Street. Did anyone go to Soho Music Month in here? So obviously, does anyone know what Car Carnaby Street is? So originally the history of there, before it was fashion, was music. Um, so they commissioned a week's programming to basically mirror the music scene in London. And there was a whole wide of activations from grime to hip hop, and I did an activation there. Um, so got, I definitely think that we're in a space where regardless, or if you're top tier, middle tier, that th there is room. It's just a matter of, again, kind of like when I get those messages, oh, can I get a sponsorship? Can I do this, can I do that? It's you know, dotting your I's and crossing your T's. And there's so many events like tonight where you can network and you can meet people. Um, and not wanting the quick way out and staying true. I mean, I started off working in reggae and dancehall for VP Records, Greensleeves, when I was 18. And people used to be like, oh, why are you working for reggae dancehall? That's what I grew up in. You know, um, I, as I said, I come from a pirate radio station background um, from my dad and stuff. And for me, reggae dancehall, that's that's what I've always loved. I mean, I appreciate it. I work in other genres like grime and hip hop um, and across the board commercially, but I think for subgenres, it's important to stay true um, and independent art to stay true to what it is you believe in. Don't just try to make a song just because you want to be the next best thing. So just know your lane and stay in your lane and own your lane and own your craft because eventually somebody, w all it takes is that one yes. So yeah. I mean, this is, this is uh, the kind of the focal point of everything we've been talking about this afternoon, that, uh, yeah, by staying true to itself, London Black Music has progressed from the point of it was being actively ignored by the BBC through to someone like Jazzy, who um, took, his, took the underground overground, and then the guys that came after that, you know, um, uh, the junglists and the dubsteppers who were, yeah, being courted by uh, John Peel and moved on. And now we've got essentially kids who are um, making their own music. As Portia says, be true to yourself, do it yourself, stay with it, stay in your lane, um, but own your lane. That's the important part. Just don't just be in it, own it. And now they're being courted by major brands. I mean, the, uh, the, Notion of the Bacardi thing that uh, had that was just like a who's who of um, London independent artists, and I think this is an absolutely astonishing thing that it's done this within what less than three generations. It's quite marvellous, and now we've got someone like Portia here sitting, and this is the embodiment of where London black music has come within this time. It's um, I'm really kind of excited about this, and again, that's why I wanted Portia up here to talk about 
where it's come, in a way that can't be denied, because this is absolutely mainstream commercial. Commercial, it's mainstream culture as much as commercial. So, I, yeah, that's it. I think this is, in fact, the perfect kind of climax to this afternoon and this whole celebration we've had of London black music, how it did it for itself on the sound systems. Porsche grew up on the sound systems, knew where to go. So I think it's an ideal time just to sort of bring it to a close. Now, has anybody got any questions for Porsche? I think this is, it's not often you get someone like this sitting, taking questions for you. So please. Take questions, I'm just behind the scenes, that's all. <laughs> Um, okay, I'll be honest. So I do, you know, I, I'm a woman first, and obviously I'm black. I think that when I first started in the music industry, you know, they, I don't remember there being many black people, let alone women in the music industry, that weren't singers, or, or whether they were lead or backup. It has changed so much. Um, if I walk, I walk into the labels, I walk into the brands, you know, women are not just the assistants or the PAs. You know, they're the managers of artists. One of my good friends, sh you know, Nadia Khan, she manages Lethal B. One of my good friends, Carla Marie, you know, she's a songwriter, won a Grammy for um, Beyonce, Lemonade. I've got, you know, Anika Allen. She's the diversity manager at Barclays, previously owned Flavor magazine. I've got a lot of friends around me, you know, Turkish, black, Asian that have good um, positions within um, the creative industry, not just music. Um, so regarding your question, I, th I think there's still room for change for females and um, of different um, ethnicities as well. There's still definitely um, room for that to be more impactful, but it is happening. Um, and I feel that the more together on that fight, before it was a lot more, segregated now it's a lot more together um so i hope that answers your question any other questions i think that's absolutely fantastic the probably the best note we could have ended on really um before we say goodbye to portia and give her a huge round of applause i want to thank bonnie and magdalena for essentially putting all this together uh, bonnie's at the back there magdalena's on the phone but if we can get her <laughs> out and uh come and please a big round of applause for them as they take a bow then <laughs> of course everybody involved with second home libraria the tech team that put all this fantastic the biggest television i've ever seen together <laughs> when um uh, Fabio was talking about them nicking a deck. I'm trying to work out how I can nick that. Um, so if we can give them a round of applause for what they've done. Woo! And again, before we say goodbye to Portia, please give yourselves a round of applause. Woo! Now let's hear it one more time for Portia Clark.
And can we please give a massive thank you to the guy who's been on stage for like eight hours, Laurie Bradley. So um, we're actually going to move over to the bookshop across the road uh, for a little after party. There's booze over there. We're going to move the speakers super quickly. And uh, yeah, please join us over there. And thank you very much for coming. It means the world to us. Thank you. Thank you.